longer you listen, the later it gets. You're listening to Voice America Kids. Stars could shine between the lines If you would let yourself go Find some place you know You can use your words, use your hands You can change the world, just pretend Express yourself, take a chance and you'll see It's time to express yourself, where teens talk and the world listens. Presented by Star Style Productions as an international outreach program of Be The Star You Are charity. You'll rock to an hour of adolescent fusion with your teen hosts and on-air reporters. Meet and chat with cool celebrities, exhilarating experts, and tenacious teens with subjects regarding anything and everything that you want to know. It's time to kick off the fun with our star teens. Welcome to Express Yourself. Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free the wretched refuse of your teeming shore. Send these, the homeless, tempest tossed to me. I lift my lamp beside the golden door. A quote from on the inscription of the Statue of Liberty. Hello and welcome to Express Yourself. We're a program by, for, and with creative young people. A platform to give teens a voice right here on the Voice America Kids Network. I'm Asia Gonzalez and today the theme for our show is Celebrating America. And Express Yourself is produced by Star Style Productions and brought to you as an outreach service of the Be The Star You Are charity, a top nonprofit honored by GuideStar and great nonprofits. In this segment, our Hope Heals reporter, Zara Hassanin, will talk to us about what makes America such a remarkable and hopeful nation. Hi, Zara. Hello. So, so what do you think makes America unique? Um, I think I feel like the special thing about America is that I could never pinpoint one thing that makes it special the way I can do for, I'd say, a lot of other countries. Um, Mm -hmm. I think, first of all, I love that we're the most diverse nation on Earth by a long shot. I think the reason America, yeah, and I think the reason America is so successful is because of, you know, immigrants powering the economy, contributing to the culture, exchanging ideas, and going in kind of a almost radically different direction than most Mm -hmm. other countries. Um, In fact, now that I think about it, I guess thanks to that recent, you know, like Hamilton hysteria, I think people are starting to realize we started out as a nation of immigrants, like Alexander Hamilton. Yeah, for sure. All of our founding fathers were immigrants, including Alexander Hamilton, and even, you know, slaves and refugees who were forced immigrants contributed their cultures, and even in the face of constant oppression, they made the landscape that is America a truly beautiful one. Uh, And I think also... um, the idea of the American dream came about because our nation was built on hard work and kind of this unparalleled motivation to escape the most dire circumstances. And sometimes it is hard to believe, I think, that the American dream does actually exist. You know, we still have some of the highest poverty and incarceration rates in the world, yeah. not to mention, um, you know, yeah, and a lot of uh, the literature we read in school, you know, those great American novels and even mm-hmm. my favorite yeah, rapper and poet, the, I like to call him the great American poet, Tupac. Um, <laughs> you know, he outrightly says the American dream ain't nothing but another calculated scheme. Um, yeah. But at the same time, there's a reason why people keep wanting to come to America, because it might even seem, you know, hopeless to make a life here, but I think there's almost no better place to try to do that. Exactly. Um, yeah, and I think, you know, the fact is that even the skeptical writers, rappers, and regular citizens can recognize that we have problems and if we're willing to discuss and solve them, then we really can make the magic of America shine through to its full potential. So I think 
that's what makes America the most hopeful and unique nation. I definitely agree. And, you know, you were talking about the American dream earlier and hard work. And to me, you know, a lot of people have their own perception of what the American dream is. But I really think the American dream is pretty much what the people who came to um, establish America did. You know, coming to America, establishing your own um, foundation, really, and working for it and pretty much being your own boss. Because... The, the pilgrims that came and founded America and everybody who came and founded America and wanted freedom and independence wanted something for their own and they didn't want to be ruled or or told what to do. You know, I feel like that's the American dream, being your own boss and doing what you want to do and making your own kind of foundation for yourself. Yeah, I totally agree. And also, you know, I think it's important to also... Um, you know, people always say the journey is the destination. And I think that's true also yeah. of the American dream. You know, it's not necessarily about where you end up, but what you did mm-hmm. to end up in the place that you are, how hard you worked, um, stuff like that. And I think that's something that is really unique about America that, yeah. you know, you can go from zero to a, like a lot more mm-hmm. if you do put in work, if you do, you know, be your own person, if you are unique. I think that's really what America Definitely. is about. And I think it's awesome hearing these stories of these people who started out, you know, pretty much at the bottom. You know, they were in a terrible neighborhood or they were in a terrible family. And they grow to be these successful people who have done all these insane things that have, you know, given them a, a huge billion dollar company. Or they're traveling the world, you know, making money or or just something that has taken them from the terrible situation that they've been in. I think it's awesome. So what do you, what are your favorite aspects of American culture? We have so many different things. And yeah. yeah, I totally agree. We do have so much going on in our country. Um, I think, you know, one of the kind of, um, it's kind of a shame that people always say, oh, you know, what is America's culture? America doesn't have any culture. It's just, you know, McDonald's and laziness and stupidity. But I think that's, yeah. so, like, I know, right? It's just like, it's oversimplifying stuff so much because I think, the great thing about America is that we're a blend of cultures. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think of like, cause I live near San Francisco and the mission district in San Francisco, you know, um, a lot of people that live there are Chicano people. So Mexicans that came to America, mm-hmm. I mean, that came to California specifically, and they kind of have this own like subculture in America, you know, yeah. and people here, you know, Asian Americans, like um, Mexican Americans, stuff like that. Like it's cool yeah. that, we have all these cultures that come to America and still maintain the parts of their old culture, but also mix in um, mm-hmm. new parts um, of like, you know, other cultures in America. And even, you know, um, I think of like, if you go to some place like Germany or something like most of the people that you're going to meet there are going to be Germans. Like they're going to have lived in Germany yeah. for a really long time. And like, you know, their blood is just going to be pure German, like stuff like that. But yeah. I think, you know, even, you know, people sometimes make fun of like, people that are like, oh, I'm a quarter Italian, like an eighth German, like, <laughs> oh, you know, stuff like that. Listing that, off all of these little yeah, of it. <laughs> all these little European uh-huh. um, But I think that is also pretty special that we do have this huge mix of, like, European ethnicities as well. It does diversify our nation a lot. Um, and then also, in addition, you know, so in the Mission District, there are a lot of, uh, there's a lot of, like, art, too, that you can see, like, all over the place. Like, there's a lot of awesome Mexican food. So I think that's, I mean, I, if that's not culture, I don't know what is. And I also think of, like, um, I remember, like, learning in middle school that, um, like, Jewish people settled on the Lower East Side of Manhattan. 
in the early 20th century, and they made an awesome culture for themselves there. And a lot of um, Jewish people that grew up on the Lower East Side became like really famous musicians, like George Schwinn. Yeah. They wrote for Broadway and stuff like that. Um, and then Harlem, you know, for African Americans was really special. And, you know, you had the whole Harlem Renaissance where, I mean, the best aspects of American culture, you could say, came out of the Harlem Renaissance. And you have all those, you know, Creole people in the South yeah. and stuff like that. So I think, you know, we do have culture. It's a pretty, and we have not one culture. We all have a few things that define our culture, but we have a lot of different things that um, define our culture. Definitely. I, I totally agree with that. I, I love what you touched on with all of these blends of cultures. You know, my family uh, is German, Italian, Spanish. I have some family from Mexico. And it's wow. so awesome when I go uh, to visit my dad's side of the family because they're from Spain and, um, and Mexico too. So we have that entire culture mixed along with uh, who we are as um, American. And they have their culture that they've mixed in because uh, they moved to America um, when my aunts were really young. So they've been here for quite a while, but they also grew up in Mexico as well. And mm. I think it's really cool how in America we are able to create our own traditions. We have so many blends of different yeah. traditions. I think yeah. that's the best part. Yeah. Or, you know, in your family, what do you... Um like, what do you most identify? Because, you know, you said you're German, Spanish and stuff. Which, like, culture do you feel, like, most in touch with if there is only one? Or do you feel in touch with, like, all of them? Uh, we we are um, a very, very loud family and very <laughs> uh, fun and energetic. So I think a lot of our Italian and Spanish comes out. So Ooh, I think we most identify <laughs> with that. Yeah. And um, we... I don't speak Spanish. I know I should. Most of my family speaks Spanish, but I don't even speak a word of Spanish. It's ridiculous. But um, most of my family is Spanish and Mexican, so I think we um, identify with that most. And um, we're just a very, very loud family. So I think a little bit of our Italian side comes out. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome, yeah. Um, I'm, like, full Pakistani, so I don't even... I kind of wish, though, that I had, like, more of a blend of cultures in my family. Uh-huh. It would be it's, cool to like experience a lot of different cultures. Yeah, definitely. Do you have uh, any positive influences on your life from growing up in America? You know, I say that I can't really imagine growing up anywhere else, even somewhere that people would say is like similar, like Canada or England. Mm-hmm. Um, I think growing up in America has given me a lot of freedom that I wouldn't have in other places. Because, you know, people do kind of make fun of America because they're like, oh, you guys think you're so free. Like, you're way too proud of how much freedom you have. It's like, yeah, as much as you think. But, but actually, um, if you really think about it, you we have a lot more freedom than most countries. Yeah, for sure. I totally agree. Um, you know, and I think it is hard because America is literally always in the spotlight. Um, but that's also made me a more aware person. You know, I yeah. realized that we have all this freedom, but with that freedom comes responsibilities. Um, like, you know, my parents grew up in Pakistan back then. Pakistan was a new nation and it was a pretty good place to live. But living there now, I think would probably be impossible for me because of course there's freedom, but it's very limited and definitely not as widespread as it is in America. Um, and my parents too have like that very common immigrant story that you hear so often here, you know, they came with hardly nothing, but they worked really hard. And of Mm -hmm. course it paid off not only for them, but for their kids too. But honestly, without that, you know, successful immigrant story that America made possible for my parents as a part of my background, I don't know how motivated or inspired I would be. So I think that's a really positive influence that it's had on me. Um, so I know 
how blessed I am to have so much freedom and so many choices, but I'm also constantly aware that there's so much wrong, not only with the world, but also with America. And with that freedom, like I said, comes the obligation to fix those problems. Yeah. Um, you know, for, like we were talking about America's diversity before. Um, I think that diversity kind of does come at a cost, though, you know. Um, it does. Yeah. And like, you know, we always hear about how rampant racism in America is. And I think that's still a problem. We always had debates about immigration, stuff like that. Um, but then I think of a place like England, which is like way more racist, you know, um, they just yeah. left the EU because of widely because of like xenophobic attitudes and I have like barely made any effort to stop discrimination. That reminds yeah. me of, you know, the positive influence that America's had on my life that, you know, like I said before, we have people that are always willing to acknowledge that we have problems, whether it's racism or anything else. And all, they're always trying to solve those problems instead of, you know, pointing yeah. their fingers at other Definitely. countries and admonishing them for their problems. And we have politicians and everyday activists that get us excited about those issues and kind of get us excited about restoring hope. <laughs> yeah, I definitely agree with everything that you said. You know, that's, we have the good and the bad in America, but I, I believe in most of the good. So it's definitely awesome to be able to look at that bright side. Well, thank you so much, Zara, for this awesome discussion about America. I think you really touched on some interesting topics and some things we really need to think about, especially with everything that's been going on with you know, the politics in America and all the things that are happening around the world, it's definitely good to see the good um, in our country and, and be proud of it, especially now, you know, with our Independence Day. Yeah. So, yeah, during the break, everyone, be sure to check out our brand new radio site at expressyourselfteenradio.com for photos, descriptions, links, and more. Also, please visit our charity site at btsya.org and watch our fun and informative videos at youtube.com slash are. Stay right here with us as we continue our conversation on Celebrating America with Mary Roach, the author of the book Grunt about the U.S. military. I'm Asia Gonzalez. Kids safe, mother approved. You're listening to Voice America Kids. Are you a teen interested in becoming a radio personality? The Positive Message Outreach Program of Be The Star You Are Charity trains dedicated young people to be reporters and hosts on Express Yourself Teen Radio. Visit ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com for information. That's ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com. Don't forget to tune in to Express Yourself Tuesdays at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Kids, where teens talk and the world listens. You're listening to Voice America Kids, now with 33% more active ingredients and no artificial coloring. You're listening to Express Yourself on the Voice America Kids channel, where teens talk and the world listens. Express Yourself is produced by Star Style Productions, LLC, as an international outreach program of Be The Star You Are charity. For more information about our show, visit ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com. Now, back to our star teens. Welcome back to our uplifting and inspiring program. I'm Asia Gonzalez, and you are listening to Express Yourself on the Voice America Kids Network, brought to you by the Be The Star You Are charity. We'll be continuing with our theme of celebrating America this segment with an amazing guest. Mary Roach is a New York Times bestselling author of Stiff, The Curious Life of Human Cadavers, Spook, Science Tackles the Afterlife, Bonk, The Curious Coupling of Science and Sex, 
Hacking for Mars, The Curious Science of Life in the Void, and Gulf, The Adventures on the Elementary Canal. She lives in Oakland, California. Hi, Mary. Hey. So it's great to have you on the show. And so, Mary, you've um, done a lot in your life. You've had a lot of different careers. You worked a PR job for the San Francisco Zoo, and you've written a lot of freelance articles uh, and magazine pieces. Um, But what gave you the passion for writing books and being an author? Um, I wrote for magazines for many, many years, and while I liked it a lot, I just always wanted to write a a book, just because a book gives you a little more freedom to just follow a tangent or dive deep and explore something and not be limited to 2,000 or 3,000 words, so Mm -hmm. uh, it was just something that really appealed to me, but for a long time, I didn't really think I had a book idea. So uh, I had a conversation with an agent at some point, and he was very encouraging and kind of got me thinking in a different way. And uh, we, you know, I wrote a book proposal, and that's sort of how it started to happen. Interesting, interesting. That's really cool. And you had um, you had an office that was next to what was called uh, Gorilla Zoo, and you worked a lot with um, that business in animals. Is that where you got your passion for science? Yeah, I'd say that was a lot of it. Not only my interest in science, but um, just kind of my appreciation for unusual aspects of it. For example, when I was working for the zoo, uh, for the membership magazine, I, you know, I would get these assignments like, go write about the elephant laser wart removal surgery. So I'd like go <laughs> to the elephant house and they'd be like, well, we've got a really, 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 really big wart on the foot of this elephant, and we're going to remove it with lasers. And so, you know, I was like, "Wow, that's pretty cool." And I, so that was the first, oh. my first kind of experience with writing about uh, science in kind of unusual settings, and that's sort of what I've stuck to over the years. Kind of, that's really cool. Yeah, I think that's super cool that you bring in the unusual side, not just kind of the typical side. Um, so you wrote a book called Spook Science Tackles the Afterlife. Can you tell us about that and how that kind of ties in with your unusual science theme? Sure, sure. Yeah, this is a book about um, people who tried to use scientific method to study the possibility of a soul or a spirit or an afterlife. Because I just love the idea Ooh. of scientists actually using laboratory methods or equipment trying to get evidence. And a lot of it was historical, but some of it was current, like people who study near-death experience or people who study mediums. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, so, you know, I was obviously, uh, I I knew that I was unlikely to personally solve the mystery of what happens to us after death, but it was just an interesting look at the the researchers and and the ways that they've gone about uh, applying science to something that's usually in the realm of religion. Mm. Mm, definitely. Do you think that science has pretty much ruled our our belief of the afterlife recently with other uh, technologic advances? Um, I think that science doesn't have any strong evidence, but I think that um, it, it, the afterlife and the spirit are kind of matters of belief more than they are of science. I think people... Mm-hmm. People have a belief system that is 
comforting to them or important to them. Yeah. And it really doesn't matter to them whether there's evidence or not. You know, and I think one of the things I discovered when I was reporting the book, I spent some time with a reincarnation researcher in India where they, in villages, sometimes the kids will start to say things that seemed like they don't fit the life that they're living. And they think, oh, who died around the time the kid was born? And maybe this mm-hmm. child is the reincarnation of that person. And the families Ooh. get together and it's like this big celebration, a kind oh. of extended family. And it, it occurred to me that it doesn't really matter whether it's quote unquote true, whether there's evidence. What matters mm-hmm. is how it affects these people's lives for the mm-hmm. better. So, um, you know, I, um, I, I think that, uh, you know, it's, it, that belief can stand on its own without science kind of getting in the way, you know, yeah. I mean, it's, yeah, yeah. The yeah. afterlife is a pretty touchy subject. You know, I think that's why people, um, really try and cling on to something that they feel comfortable in believing in because it's a pretty hard, you know, topic to really yeah. discuss and grab hold of something that makes sense. Yeah, exactly. And I think, you know, beliefs are are personal and, you know, Mm -hmm. I I would, you know, I don't, wouldn't want to take that away from somebody by like having some sort of proof. I mean, it it would be tough to prove, it's tough to prove something doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's not likely anybody's going to have concrete proof that they can say, I know what happens after death because, you know, how do you do that? But, (laughs) um, uh, But, you know, it's, it's really... A personal matter. Yeah, and I think that's a really interesting question too. You know, what does happen to us after we die? What's the relationship between like science and that question? And your books cover a kind of interesting, kind of philosophical slash scientific like questions like that. Um, so, were these questions that you always asked yourself, or was it once you became an author you started asking these kinds of questions more? I think there are things that would come up in the process of writing a book because when I write my books, I am diving into a topic that I've never really spent any time thinking about. They're all um, subjects that I never reported on or never really had experience in my life. So there, there are questions that come up in the uh, process of the, the research. I'm not really a very philosophical person by nature, but when it comes up, it's kind of interesting to, d- to dive into it. Yeah, it's interesting to see what kind of questions your mind always can come up with. Yeah. Now, have you ever thought of writing any sort of fictional uh, books, anything like that? Have you ever tried delving into that kind of genre? No, I've never tried writing fiction, partly because one of the things I love about what I do is the reporting. I love going, an excuse to step into some world that, I've never spent any time in, you know, whether it's a, a laboratory or a military yeah. base or the space program. It's like this wonderful excuse to open a door that you wouldn't ordinarily get to open unless that was your, jo- you know, your career. So um, for that reason, I've just really enjoyed nonfiction. But I, I just also don't think I have, you know, it's kind of like asking an electrician to do the plumbing in your house. There's such different skill sets, you know, it's, with fiction, it's all plot and pacing and narrative and character and imagination. And I don't even know how to begin, you know? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, so now let's uh, shift a little bit. Um, 
to talk about your book, Grunt, um, about the U.S. military and kind of the heroes that you don't always see in movies, you know, the ones that are keeping people, as you say, the ones that are keeping people alive, um, not as, you know, um, Grunt isn't just about the killing that happens on the battlefield. Um, so what do you think the role of, you know, do you think um, the military um, kind of is a really huge part of American culture? Oh, well, it, the military has for so long been sort of a mainstay of our culture because it's it's such a you know huge portion of what our taxpayer dollars go to and the conversation is always there you know uh politically and economically so it's it's always going to be a big part of the picture for sure you know in the culture we are a culture of um you know we we are a country that likes its guns <laughs> uh, so well, there's there's that sort of tie-in because the military you can't separate the military from its guns. Yeah. So so there yeah there's definitely you know there but you know our culture is so split really there's you know there's uh, there's so many different elements of the culture um, but definitely yeah. the the military is is one of them and it, it's a culture unto itself you know. I feel like we don't um, really get to see what goes on. Um, especially the hardships that our soldiers go through, you know, uh, panic, you know, when yeah. a scary Sorry, situation starts to happen, really go through, um, you know, the days, uh, you know, with the days of no food or no water or, you know, trekking across, um, you know, large parts of lands to get to another destination. It's really interesting and, and kind of um, crazy to think of all these different things that our military uh, soldiers go through. Yeah, I think that, we who aren't in the military have a sense of the high drama portions, you know, combat and mm-hmm. uh, escape and, you know, Navy SEAL operations and all, yeah. all of that. We have all a that. real cinematic sense of it, but, but mm-hmm. the day-to-day reality of it is... It, you know, is interesting in its own way, in a very different way. Just and, and it's extreme. You have extreme exhaustion and sleep deprivation, panic, Definitely. fear, heat, loud noise, yeah. flies, mm-hmm. diarrhea. So yeah. it's a you know it's 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 extreme and intense yeah. even when there are no bullets flying. Mm-hmm. You know, we've we've so far made a couple movies depicting what our soldiers go through. You know, we've got. 13 Hours, we've got Lone Survivor, and then we have American Sniper, kind of in the perspective of the soldier. And that gives you a little bit of insight on what goes on in that lifestyle and those um, wars and battles that our soldiers have to go through. So tell us about your research for Grant. What did you need to do? You know, who did you have to visit or talk to or um, to talk to to get this kind of information for your book? Uh, sure. Well, I, I was in a variety of places. I ended up um, on a U.S. ballistic missile submarine out in the Atlantic for five oh, days, wow. Wow. Yeah. which took me about a, a year, over a year to get permission to do. Uh, wow. I was um, I was in Djibouti. At, um, there's a military base there, Camp Lemonnier, which is uh, the starting point for a lot of counterinsurgency, North mm-hmm. African stuff where Navy SEALs and other special operations people 
leave from there. So I was there. I was at Camp Pendleton for, they were doing some stuff on loud, on noise and, and hearing. I was at um, Walter Reed in the operating room. I was at um, a lab where they were working out the details for um, one of the first penis transplants, which is uh, the defense wow. department was funding. Yeah, so wow, I was all over the place. Yeah, That's crazy. I think, you know, with that kind of topic, there's so much to go over. And there's so yeah. many different things that you have to, to think about and learn about. And it's very, very interesting. Well, thank you so much, Mary. Unfortunately, we're out of time for this segment, but we will be back. So if you guys want to check out Mary's work at maryroach.net, definitely go to that website to learn more about what she's doing and her new book, Grunt. And you can check out more of her books on her website as well. Support our show and these amazing segments by giving a donation to the Be The Star You Are charity that brings you this program. For more info on how to do this, go to www.bethestarur.org and follow our blog. Again, that website is www.bethestarur.org. Also remember to visit our new radio site at expressyourselfteenradio.com. When we come back from break, we'll be back with Mary Rich. We don't care how you got here. We're just glad you showed up. You're listening to Voice America Kids. Show the world your smile. Be the star you are. If you are ready to be inspired, energized, and edutained, you've come to the right place with our two life-changing programs at BeTheStarYouAreRadio.com. Live every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's our lifestyle show, Star Style, Be the Star You Are, with hosts Cynthia Bryan and Heather Brittany. On Tuesdays at noon Pacific, teens talk and the world listens on Express Yourself Teen Radio on Voice America Kids. Come play with us at BeTheStarYouAreRadio.com. Are you a teen interested in becoming a radio personality? The Positive Message Outreach Program of Be The Star You Are Charity trains dedicated young people to be reporters and hosts on Express Yourself Teen Radio. Visit ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com for information. That's ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com. Don't forget to tune in to Express Yourself Tuesdays at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Kids, where teens talk and the world listens. Sometimes we may sound strange, but remember, we're just kids with opinions. You're listening to Voice America Kids. You're listening to Express Yourself on the Voice America Kids channel, where teens talk and the world listens. Express Yourself is produced by Star Style Productions, LLC, as an international outreach program of Be The Star You Are charity. For more information about our show, visit ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com. Now, back to our star teens. For staying with us here at Voice America Kids. Our program is Express Yourself, giving youth across the world a voice to be listened to. Today's topic is Celebrating America. I'm Asia Gonzalez. And I'm Zara Hassanane. Today we have Mary Roach here with us again um, in this segment discussing her book Grunt about the U.S. military. Grunt explores those aspects of war that no one makes movies about. Not the killing, but the keeping alive. 
Grunt salutes the scientists and surgeons running along in the wake of combat, lab coats flapping. When it comes to military history, not all heroes carry guns, and not all heroes happens in a burst of cinematic glory. In Grunt, the heroes engage in dizzying flights of unorthodox thinking. They experiment with flame-resistant textiles, zippers, earplugs, sharp repellent, and erectile tissue. If necessary, they lob chickens at airplanes. Welcome back, Mary. <laughs> Thank you. So it's great to have you again this segment. Um, so Mary, as I was kind of saying um, right there, um, a lot of the movies that we see um, kind of don't portray the scientific heroes that are kind of doing the behind-the-scenes work. Um, do you think, you know, why do you think that is? Or do you think we should have more movies where these heroes are portrayed as well as the war heroes? Well, I think that war is the stuff of high drama and you know, personal heroics and, and emotion. And I mean, I think it makes sense that that's what films and plays and books are often about. But I think the other, you know, the, the stuff that kind of falls between the cracks is also worth uh, talking about and exploring. It's just a different kind of book. It's, you know, it's my kind of book. It's not, it's, it's uh, you know, it's not, narrative it's not like there's one story i'm covering all the way through there's lots of little stories but i I think you know i think there's still there you know i am glad that they don't get talked about that much because that leaves more for me to play with (laughs) definitely do you know anybody in your family or friends uh anybody in that circle who uh, works with the military you know with the scientific aspect or anybody who actually serves in the military that was able to give you insight for your book uh, no, my my the only person in my family or circle who was in the military is my father. My father was sixty five when I was born, so he uh, uh, actually I know <laughs> he wow. enlisted in World War One because he was he was born oh, in England. Wow. But he came over oh, here. He, I know my father enlisted enlisted in World War One, and I after he died, I found his military records at Fort Moultrie in I think South Carolina. Or wow. North, I forget. And he, but it uh, wasn't a very illustrious military career because he, he got a hernia during basic training. And that was oh. sort of the end. <laughs> oh, man. That was as far as he went, I know. So I don't really have any stories of glory in my family or my immediate circle. So I was really an outsider to that whole, to the whole world of the military. It definitely gave you the opportunity to learn a lot of interesting things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think oh, it's, yeah. Yeah, it's, um, you might not be writing about the most, you know, glorious, dramatic things in the world, but I think they're all, they're like things that are almost even cooler. So, um, you know, I was, um, so can you tell us, you know, a cool fact, like tell us why a zipper is a problem for a sniper? Sure. Yeah. When I was at Natick Labs in, in Natick, Massachusetts, that's an, um, uh, an army lab where they design all the accessories that soldiers, you know, what they wear, what they sleep in, what they eat what they uh, carry, but not with the weapons. So they um, have a fashion studio there. Like the the fashion designers. I know. A couple of fashion designers there. And when I was there, the the woman who was showing me around showed me this uh, tailor's dummy, you know, like a mannequin, Mm. and it had a suit, uh, like a a uniform, which was for snipers. And it was very sleek. There was nothing cluttering the front of it. And... I asked her about that. I thought it was just to look cool. And she said, well, no, because if, if you're lying on your belly for hours, as snipers sometimes do, 
Mm-hmm. You don't want to be lying on buttons or a zipper because it's uncomfortable. Yeah. And also a zipper lying in debris or sand or dirt, like, mm-hmm. like the teeth would get clogged up and it would stop working. So it, the, the, the closure was on the side so that there wouldn't be, and the pockets that were, t- were not on the chest, they were on the sleeves so they could use their pockets. So the whole design was um, designed around the daily job that the person was doing, whether it was a sniper or, you know, a, a somebody who's driving a, a tank or somebody who's a helicopter pilot, whatever their job is, the, the uniform would reflect that. That's really cool. It's crazy that you brought up the, the uniform for a sniper because a sniper could be laying in the exact same spot that he's in for days. It's insane to think about that. Yeah, and there's also, like, I remember asked her about, well, couldn't you use Velcro because that's flat? And she mm-hmm. said, well, Velcro, Velcro is noisy, you know, and mm-hmm. that could give away oh, your position. Yeah. So soldiers don't like, yeah, they don't like Velcro because it you know, goes like Yeah, that. yeah, exactly. So, um, and, you know, if you're trying to stay hidden, Velcro is not your friend. Yeah, definitely. And uh, I was just thinking about this as we were talking, you know, about war, soldiers, um, you know, scientific discoveries for better technology. And I was thinking about World War II. And World War II is definitely an era of very interesting discoveries and creations. And you write about stink bombs created for World War II that were never used on the Japanese. Can you tell us the backstory of that? Sure, yeah. Yeah, this was an idea that this guy at the OSS, and that's the precursor to the CIA. So this is, this is a group, uh, you know, it wasn't specifically the military, but it was for use in World War II, and what they wanted to come up with was really um, inexpensive, subtle, small devices they could distribute among resistance groups, people in occupied countries who um, were trying to do their part against the invading nation. So that one of the things they come up with was this squirtable tube with this foul-smelling stuff. Oh. and you would So they would give it to people like um, resistance groups, civilians who are kind of motivated to help the cause, and they'd go up to, say, a German officer on the street, and they'd sneak up behind, and they'd spray this foul-smelling substance on oh, the uniform. And it was, yeah, yeah. And uh, they, they, came, they hired a chemical company to design the worst possible smell. They figured out, you know, this little tube that you'd squeeze. They had a lot of deployment problems. There was a lot of backfire and mm-hmm. dribble, which would get on the, the person who was squeezing it. So um, they, uh, they they never they never and they never ended up sending them out because uh, about seventeen days before. Oh, the the final report came out seventeen days before the war ended. So they dropped the bomb 17 days after the final report on this oh, substance. Wow. Yeah, so yeah, instead I, of a stink bomb, they had the atomic bomb. Uh, so, But it was like two years that they worked on this, testing it and designing it and figuring out which is the worst smell and yeah. do you want a mixture of smells and what should it smell like. Uh, anyway, yeah, so that was That's, pretty interesting. That is interesting, um, the things that they yeah. thought of for that. <laughs> yeah, I think it's cool that we had, you know, that kind of technology back then. That honestly seems pretty advanced to me. Um, and I think it's cool that we have even more advanced technology now. But nonetheless, um, you know, American combatants in Iraq between 2003 and 2004, um, you know, 77% of them came down with diarrhea. 
what do soldiers do when they don't have toilets, you know, when they don't have basic technology? What's, how is diarrhea a threat to, you know, national security, if you want to um, put it on a larger scale? Sure, sure. Well, um, it's, you know, it used to be in, like in the 1800s, there were four or five times as many soldiers who died from um, food poisoning, diarrhea, oh. dehydration, than from bullets. Because they wow. had... Yeah, because they, they, there'd be, um, the food would, you know, they'd have open latrines, like just sort of pit latrines, so the flies would walk around there, and then they'd land on the food. The food was not refrigerated, so the, the, they, like these pathogens would get in the food, and they'd multiply, and then they, you'd eat your beans hours later, and you would get sick, typhoid fever, dysentery. Oh um, there was a lot of deaths from diarrhea in um, like the Mexican-American War and some of the conflicts in the 1800s. Nowadays, it's more, it's specifically, it hits the um, special operations teams hardest because they aren't on a big base where the food is safe and the water is safe. They're out in like little villages with the village elders taking meals of, you know, goat that might not have been refrigerated or Mm. water that's not uh, filtered or treated. So, and those guys, can you imagine if your job is to go take out Osama bin Laden or whatever your Navy SEAL assignment mm-hmm. is, you can't, you know, if you get, hor- if you have horrible diarrhea, you, you just have to keep going and, and you can't yeah. like, stop and, you know, yeah. go somewhere or change your clothes. You just keep going. And, and so they, uh, they were testing a, um, a, a faster treatment regimen for it, like a one day, one dose drug that would get you back to normal more quickly oh interesting you know it's Mm. crazy and we really don't think about these small things that can happen while our troops are you know overseas doing their missions you know especially the special forces you know they go go through some crazy um experiences and they endure a lot and all of these small things aren't really you know questions that we really think about and one of them is really interesting is how excessive sweat can be dangerous to, sh- to soldiers. You know, how is, how is that a threat? Well, excessive heat, for sure. Um, you know, sweat is your body's uh, cooling system. So mm-hmm. um, if you are not good at producing sweat or you're not in good shape, or sometimes people, some people are just really not well-suited to the heat and they tend to get heat injury and either pass out or sometimes, you, I mean, you can, you can die from heat stroke. Um, uh-huh. And so sweat is the way that you cool down. And if you can imagine if you're wearing body armor, it's not very breathable, and you're working, if, if you're working really hard, carrying stuff, moving quickly, your body needs to get blood to your muscles, but your, your body also needs to be sweat, and the sweat comes from a portion of your blood. So your body's sending some of your blood to your skin. That's why you look flushed when you're really hot. So it's wow. sending... You're sending the blood there to, to make sweat to cool you down, but it also needs the blood to give oxygen to your muscles. So there's this competition for a limited amount of blood. And if there's not enough to go around and it gets extreme and you're really working hard, you, then you can uh, get heat stroke and die. And like four, there was a five-year period where they were measuring uh, in the incidence of heat injury, and there was, I think, 14,000 cases, because it's hot in the Middle East, oh you know, in yeah. summertime yeah. in Afghanistan, down in the, not up in the mountains, but the latter parts, it's really hot, 120 degrees, you know, really extreme, and if you're working hard and you're wearing body armor, you know, you're, uh, you're in a dangerous situation. Definitely, yeah, and I think, yeah, well, 
it's very clear that you have a lot of knowledge about, you know, not only the kind of typical aspects of war that you hear about, but also the smaller things like, like we've discussed that are really important as well, too. Um, do you have any kind of final advice for aspiring writers? Oh, just follow your curiosity. And also, uh, and particularly from this book, I'd say, you know, you'll be persistent if somebody says they're not really sure they want you to come visit, you know, just like wear them down with enthusiasm, you know, and, and, you know, just uh, say, you know, try to work with them. What would make you feel more comfortable? Do you want to check your quotes? Do you want to uh, see some of my previous work, you know, whatever. And people really respond to interest Mm -hmm. and enthusiasm. And um, so I just always encourage people to, you know, not give up easily. Definitely. That is great advice. I'm glad you gave um, our listeners that Mary, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show. Thank you so much for all this awesome information that, you know, most of us probably never even thought about. And it's awesome to see all the different research that you've been doing. So thank you very much for being on here today. Oh, you're so welcome. And thank you guys for the interview. I really enjoyed it. Definitely. Check out Mary's website, guys, at maryroach.net. More information on Grant and Mary's other work as well. I definitely think it will be worth it. During the break, be sure to check out our radio, our charity site at btsya.org, which stands for Be the Star You Are, 501c3 Literacy and Positive Media Charity. I'm Asia Gonzalez. And I'm Zara Hoffman. Check out www.expressyourselfteenradio.com for more information about our show. When we come back, we will continue our inspiring conversation. Stay with us for more empowerment and entertainment on the beauty of America. We didn't invent Kid Talk. We perfected it. And at a very young age, you're listening to Voice America Kids. Are you a teen interested in becoming a radio personality? The Positive Message Outreach Program of Be The Star You Are Charity trains dedicated young people to be reporters and hosts on Express Yourself Teen Radio. Visit ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com for information. That's ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com. Don't forget to tune in to Express Yourself Tuesdays at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Kids, where teens talk and the world listens. The longer you listen, the later it gets. You're listening to Voice America Kids. You're listening to Express Yourself on the Voice America Kids channel, where teens talk and the world listens. Express Yourself is produced by Star Style Productions, LLC, as an international outreach program of Be The Star You Are charity. For more information about our show, visit ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com. Now, back to our star teens. Welcome back. Thanks for staying with us here at Voice America Kids. I'm Asia, and our program is Express Yourself. Today, the theme for our show is Celebrating America. And we have our health rap reporter, Alex Palacos. Hey, Alex. Hi. Hi, guys. This is Alex Palacos, and this is the health rap. Tonight, the health rap is going to celebrate America by taking a look at America's world-leading medical research accomplishments. When it comes to medical innovation... The United States is the world leader. In fact, during the last 10 years, 12 Nobel Prizes 
in medicine have gone to American-born scientists or in the United States. Three have gone to foreign-born scientists also working in the United States, and just seven have gone to researchers outside of the country. Medical research has improved the health of Americans, improving both the length and quality of life. For example, the survival rate for children with the most common type of leukemia is now 90%. The 10-year survival rate for people with malignant skin cancer has gone from 46% all the way to 89%. Women with breast cancer now have a 78% chance of surviving at least 10 years. That's up from 40% 20 years ago. Medical research in America has contributed to a 60% reduction in the death rates for coronary heart disease and stroke, a 40% decline in infant mortality over the past 20 years, and a 30% decrease in chronic disability among seniors. The past two decades have been marked by unparalleled advances in science and technology. Public and private sector investment in biomedical research has exceeded $100 billion per year over the last 10 years. This spending on research has really paid off with this number of significant breakthroughs in America. Most notably, the recent cure for hepatitis, a disease that according to the United States Center for Disease Control and Prevention, the CDC, currently affects more than 3 million Americans. Another significant medical breakthrough from American research is called immunotherapy. That is where they use the patient's own immune system to fight their cancer. You see, our body's immune system has cells called T-cells. The T-cell's job is to destroy germs that come into our body. New cancer drugs, called checkpoint inhibitors, boost the cancer-fighting powers of the immune system's T-cells. One of these drugs has provided amazing results, including eliminating cancer completely in some patients with very advanced skin cancer or melanoma. It is also approved for lung and kidney cancer. There are just a few, these are just a few of the advances in medical care that are coming out of America's research labs. There have been so many more impressive achievements in the field of medical care, and we have reason to be optimistic that our scientists will discover even more. Wow, that was so informative, Alex. Thank you so much. Um, so you said that about $100 million gets spent on medical research every year. Who's paying for that research? Well, private industry spends billions of dollars every year. And there are also a lot of nonprofit charities that donate billions to research. And of course, one of the biggest spenders on medical research is the United States government. A government agency, the National Institute of Health, uses our tax dollars and invests nearly $32.3 billion every year in medical research for the American people. Wow, that is a lot of money. So. Our government is spending that money on medical research, but where does that $32 billion go? What does that get well, used towards? Well, that's a very good question, and it is a lot of money. In fact, it's our tax dollars being spent. More than 80% of that $32 billion is awarded through a 
competitive grants to more than 300,000 researchers at more than 2,500 universities, medical schools, and other research institutions in every single state of this country. Wow, that is amazing. So do you think, you know, um, do you think with this, all this money is being used effectively too, or do you think maybe there's a way that we can use it even more effectively? Well, I, I definitely think the, uh, the private industry uses it much more effectively, hmm. simply because they, uh, the government agencies aren't punished when they make mistakes hmm. or inefficiencies occur as much as private industry is. But, you know, on the other hand, that results in a patient having to pay for more expensive drugs. So it's somewhat of a trade-off. Hmm, interesting. Now, what I was thinking about earlier is that, you know, we have chemotherapy, we have radiation, we have all these different kinds of um, uses uh, and procedures to get rid of cancer cells. And I'm wondering, you know, in this is probably a very redundant question, but how come we weren't able to discover T cells earlier and kind of use our immune system against cancer cells um, in earlier advancements? Why do you think that? Um, I, I think it just all has to do with the rapid growth in technology. You know, it wasn't too long ago. We didn't really, you know, the internet didn't even exist 30 yeah. years ago, you know, so... Just when we, technology is, has been improving and improving and improving, and that goes hand in hand with improvements mm. in, you know, our medical capabilities. Definitely. Mm. Yeah, that's really interesting, too. So, you know, you also talked about all these um, kind of treatments. Which one do you think is, um, like, the most effective kind of treatment, or which one do you think is the most, like, innovative, I guess? Uh, the one I found most interesting was the immunotherapy. Hmm. And why is that? Uh, I just thought it was pretty unique to use the patient's own immune system. Yeah, that's very interesting. It's crazy to think what our bodies can do, you know, especially with our immune system. It's actually a pretty delicate um, balance on how to keep our immune system going and, and fighting against all these things that uh, are foreign to our body. You know, if you don't eat right, then your immune system is at a low. You know, if you don't get enough sleep, yeah, the, yeah. A lot of a lot of what we our body does is tries yeah. to maintain homeostasis or balance throughout the body, and that's mm -hmm. that explains so much of the the way we function. It definitely does, you know, and especially if they're using our immune system, um, you know, with T cells and all of that, and um, using all of that to fight cancer cells and to fight something that is just so damaging to our body. You know, we have to use the most delicate part of our body to fight something that that's serious. Right, I completely agree. And it's kind of scary that, you know, when you get cancer, so the treatments we have right now are poisonous against us. They essentially. are. You know, it's, they are. You're, you're, you know, you're fighting a disease with, with poison. With poison. Yeah. You, know, yeah. you got radiation and you got chemotherapy. You know, chemotherapy, it, it strips you of your hair and, and it's, yeah, because, you know, the, the, the idea is to kill the quickest growing cells. So mm -hmm. cells like hair and, uh, you know, nails and things like that, they mm -hmm. grow quickly, mm -hmm. just like the cancer cells. So that's why people's hair falls out during cancer mm -hmm. treatment. And, so there, and so there's, there's also there, uh, skin damage occurs, too. It does, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. 
So is there any kind of um, research into like any kind of cancer treatment that isn't as harmful to the body or is it as poisonous? Um, I'm certain there is, but I don't know it off the top of my head. I do think it's pretty great, you know, how far we're progressing, especially if we've gotten into the uh, immunotherapy um, discovery. And I feel like it's a lot of our research is coming from, you know, university programs about, you know, medical advancements, which is absolutely crazy to think about, you know, the people, these students who are learning are actually discovering these new procedures and um, treatments that will help us get rid of these diseases that are, are coming about. And, it's, and I think yeah. it's you know, um, we have these students who are pretty much paying to have this education, and then they're actually helping us uh, find all of these new advancements and research and putting in that time and effort with the money that they're spending. I think it's absolutely insane. Yeah, I think it's also, um, you know, our whole theme for today's show is celebrating America, and it is really remarkable that, you know, in America we have all these awesome institutions that are doing these yeah. um Well, yeah, yeah. You know, in America, we have the very best medical research groups. It's Mm -hmm. it's Mm. just it's just another example of American exceptionalism. Yeah, Yeah. the freedom to be able to uh, advance in technology. You know, the freedom to think freely and um, be opinionated, and being able to think freely gives us the ability to think of new. um, possibilities and futures. And you know, the fact that we are a very progressed country with technology, it's crazy to think how America is able to make all these advancements because of the freedom that we have to uh, create things of our own, you know, we're able to um, really dig down into where our beliefs are and our passions and we're able to make discoveries and new technology and inventions that can help, you know, the greater good. It's awesome. Yeah, I totally agree. And, you know, that's also, I think, the reason why a lot of the time people do, like, kind of look up to America as kind of a role model, um, you know, see America as a play, uh, as the place to go for innovation and stuff like that. So, you know, yeah, we live in a exactly. pretty great country. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I, think our, I, think, I think a lot of people would, could, would agree that America is the greatest country in the world. I, I would agree, too, because, you know, the things that we can do is absolutely awesome. And it's, it's always such a wonderful feeling to be able to celebrate Independence Day. Because, yeah. Uh, you know, we, we've got to have faith in our country, and I think that's awesome. So Yeah, sadly, well, I, I can say, you know, after doing this medical, you know, this report on medical research, I'm definitely proud to be an American. Definitely. Yeah. I am, too. It's great to have that feeling. But sadly, we have no more time for this show. And thanks for... Uh, thanks to Star Style Productions, Cynthia Bryan, Be the Star You Are, and of course, America Kids Crew, especially our engineer, Matt. Thanks to our guests and report- reporters from across the world. And thank you, our listeners, for making us a top-rated program. I'm Asia Gonzalez. And I'm Zara Hoffman. You have been listening to Express Yourself, an on-air global community where teens talk and the world listens. For info on our creative community, go to www.btsya.org. Until next week, remember... Be kind, celebrate America, and be here. Speak up, speak out, and express yourself. Thanks for joining us this week on Express Yourself. 
produced by Star Style Productions, LLC, as an international outreach program of Be The Star You Are charity. For more information about our show, be sure to visit ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern, when teens talk and the world listens on the Voice America Kids channel. Until then, remember to express yourself. Stars that shine between the lines if you would let yourself.